All right, this evening uh, we will pick up in Leviticus chapter 25, just to sort of set uh, where we are. Uh, beginning in Leviticus 23, a couple of sessions ago, uh, we started talking about the religious festivals or the feasts of Israel. Um, and then the last time we were together, uh, we talked at the early portion of Le Leviticus 24 about the uh, the lamp and the bread of the sanctuary. And so what we've been actually working through in the last couple of chapters is this um, Jewish religious calendar. Uh, so in Leviticus 23, we saw that on an annual basis there would be these three uh, major feast times where uh, once the Israelites got into the land of Canaan, uh, which God had promised to Abraham, they would then all come together uh, at a place that God had appointed. So that was the annual festivals. And then uh, we moved to the weekly uh, religious practices, which would be making sure uh, that there was new bread, um, bread of the presence uh, on the table of the showbread uh, every week. Uh, and then, of course, we were interrupted uh, a little bit in the text, uh, beginning in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 10, with that narrative uh, portion about the son of the Israelite woman and uh, whose father was an Egyptian who blasphemed uh, the name. And so we moved into a, a short discussion <coughs> on uh, justice. Uh, and uh, talked last time about Lex Talionis. And so in Leviticus chapter 25, at least the first portion uh, up through verse 34, um, we will get back into the religious calendar. And now uh, we won't be talking about weekly religious uh, festivities, nor will we be talking about annual uh, religious festivities, but now we will move to the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year. And so I uh, just want to get... Uh, through this uh, this text this evening, through verse 34, as we see uh, what God had ordained, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, had ordained for his people um, with regard to the 7th and the 50th years. And so uh, in Leviticus chapter 25, picking up in verse 1, the Lord Yahweh then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. Your harvests after growth you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. And all of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food, yourself and your male and female slaves and your hired man and your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you, even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. And so um, we have seen previously on multiple occasions through our studies in Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus um, that God had ordained a Sabbath day, the last day of the week, uh, for the Israelites to rest from their labors. This is, of course, patterned after the, the creation days uh, where God worked for six days, and then at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, God himself rested from his works and declared that everything that he had done was very good. And, of course, then that is the pattern for the uh, fourth commandment, 
uh, of the Ten Commandments for the Israelites to celebrate a Sabbath day, the last day of the week. And if you remember, I believe it was in Exodus chapter 16 um, that uh, God sent out um, the Israelites to collect the manna. This was even before he gave them uh, the law in Exodus 20. But to collect the manna, and they were only to collect the manna um, on the first six days of the week. Uh, and they were not to go out and collect manna on the seventh day of the week. They were to rest, and God uh, supernaturally provided for the Israelites enough manna for them to eat while they were in the wilderness for two days. And so we see these that pattern again and again, and, and we've seen that God again and again exhorts Israel not to forget the Sabbath, but to rest on the Sabbath. Um, and now here in Leviticus 25, we get to the Sabbath Year, And so um, the exhortation here in verse 2, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. And so this is clearly looking forward to when the Israelites uh, go into the land of Canaan. So um, again, foreshadowing to the book of Joshua, the Israelites will go west into Canaan uh, and they will be commanded to conquer all of the Canaanites. Uh, and then they will be given the land of Canaan, the promised land, which God promised to Abraham. And when they are settled in the land of Canaan, they are only to work the land for six years. And then in the seventh year, the land itself is to rest. And that's very clear here. Verse 3, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop, crop so on and so forth. And uh, we have seen this uh, before, briefly mentioned in Exodus, um, in the uh, book of the covenant, in Exodus chapter, uh, let's see, Exodus chapter 23. Um, and if you would like uh, to read ahead a little bit, you can see some additional details on the Sabbath year in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. I'm not going to do that here. <coughs> That's for your reading. I do want to point out um, that although it's not mentioned here in this text in Leviticus 25, uh, if we do go back to Exodus 23, 11, um, it is clearly pointed out uh, in that text that the Sabbath year, which God discusses very briefly, is also for the benefit of the poor Israelites, the poor among them, right? And so it wasn't that they weren't to gather at all during the Sabbath year. It's just that they weren't to cultivate the field and harvest the field as they would have done in the first six years. The poor, of course, could go out at any time to the fields and they could gather for themselves. And that was God clearly demonstrating his provisions for his people, even the poor among them, and at the same time giving the land itself a rest from its Labors, And this will be very important, again, as we'll circle back near the end of the hour this evening to talk about how important that was uh, as we uh, get later into the Old Testament. So we have the seventh year. Um, every seventh year would be a Sabbath year for the land to rest and for the poor to be provided for. We'll pick up in verse 8. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. 
seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years, namely, forty-nine years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the fiftieth year as a jubilee. You shall not sow, nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its untrimmed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field." Verse 13, On this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. If you make a sale, moreover, to your friend, or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not wrong one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell to you according to the number of years of crops. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price, and in proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price, for it is a number of crops he is selling to you. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You shall thus observe my statutes and keep my judgments, so as to carry them out, that you may live securely on the land. Then the land will yield its produce, so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But if you say, What are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year, that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing in the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year, when its crop comes in. So, we have these 7 times 7 years, 49 years, so you will have uh, 7 different Sabbath years. And then that will mark off then a celebration for the 50th year itself, which is often called the Jubilee year. Okay, And so similar to what we saw among the religious festivals, uh, we're very familiar, obviously, with the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. And of course, in Acts chapter 2, that is under the terms of the New Covenant, the giving of the Holy Spirit of God. But in a, in a manner very similar to what we understand as being one of the feast days of Israel every year as being the 50th day or Pentecost, so also we have this 50th year celebration called the Jubilee year, where again, the Israelites were not to cultivate the land. So you would have the 49th year where the land was not cultivated. Then you would also have the 50th year where the land was not cultivated. Right? This is uh, an incredible thing. And again, we see that for the Israelites, uh, faith that would be required of them to not cultivate the land for two consecutive years, very much trusting in uh, God as their provider. Um, in addition, during the Jubilee year, well, it, yeah, so uh, I want to point you, let's, let's go back to verse 9. Uh, you shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month, right? And so um, they're blowing this horn, this horn of liberty, as it were, uh, on the tenth day of the seventh month, which, of course, is the day of atonement. And at verse 10, you shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. Verse 
13. On this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his own property. So this is, this is so important. So this means that any Israelite who became a willful servant of another Israelite, okay, whether it was due to uh, some hardship uh, or, you know, some poverty or something like that. In the year of Jubilee, those persons, those Israelites, were, were to return to the original property they were given when they went into the land of Canaan, which again will take place in the days of Joshua um, after Moses dies, right? And so what, what's really happening here is this proclamation of liberty to those who were uh, servants, Right? So there's this proclamation of liberty or freedom and a return to a person's inherited property regardless of the sale of that property or whatever. Right, And so what we see God doing here is he's every 50 years in the Jubilee year, he's in a sense leveling the playing, re-leveling the playing field. To the, to the place where it was when the Israelites went west into Canaan and acquired their property. So it's a re-leveling of the field every 50 years. And there's a sense in which this has a tendency to um, keep people out of, and families especially, clans, out of extended poverty. Okay, And you can see some details about how these transactions are to take place. And of course, the price for a piece of land would be more, right? depending on how many years you had to the Jubilee year. If there were fewer years to the Jubilee year, then the price of the land uh, for the person who was purchasing the land or taking on a servant uh, would be less. And of course, an exhortation to make sure that in verse 17, that you shall not wrong one another, but you shall Fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Right? And so this is what's going on these, these uh, Sabbath years, every seven years, and then the Jubilee year in the 50th year, a proclamation of freedom and liberty to captives and a re-giving of the inheritance land to the Israelites that they were given on the day that they inherited the land of Canaan under the leadership of of Joshua in verse 15 um, there's the, it's mentioned there he is to sell to you according to the number of years of crops and so uh, that price uh, is not to include the Sabbath years just as a little um, economic uh, detail there and then he says very clearly he talks about his provision that God does he talks about his provision in verses 20 and following he says but if you say what are we going to eat in the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops, right? And so this is a real concern that the Israelites would have once Moses passes on this word to the Israelites. What do you mean, Moses? We're not supposed to cultivate our land in the seventh year. What shall we eat? And God says through Moses, Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. And so this is clearly a supernatural and miraculous provision of food for the Israelites. Again, you remember as they were gathering manna on the sixth day, then they would be able to gather two days full 
right? So they would be able to gather enough manna for the sixth day and the seventh day. Of course, agriculture doesn't work that way, right? Agriculture works in such a way that it takes time to cultivate your field, to plant your seed, and to have those plants grow, and then the harvest. And in this particular case, every Sabbath year, in the sixth year, prior to the Sabbath year, the field would provide not just two times enough food, but three times enough food. Enough food for the sixth year, and the seventh year, and the eighth year, the first year of the new cycle, when they would be waiting for those crops to grow. So clearly, like the manna, God is providing supernatural, miraculous provision for his people, and asking his people, the Israelites, to trust him to provide for them. Okay? And then the portions of the promised land that were given to each tribe were ultimately preserved. That's another important thing. Okay? Though whatever sale of the land took place, it would be, by God's design, temporary, so that each of God's tribe's land would be preserved over the generations. Okay? Very important to understand. And we'll get there uh, more detail here beginning in verse 23. So these first uh, 1, 2, 3, 6 verses, 23 through 28, have to do with land outside of a walled city. So this would be land that can be cultivated and farmed. Okay? So that's what we're going to deal with here in 23 through 28. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Thus, for every piece of your property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Or in case a man has no kinsman, but so recovers his means as to find sufficient for its redemption, then he shall calculate the years since its sale and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and so return to his property." But if he has not found sufficient means to get it back for himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. But at the Jubilee it shall revert that he may return to his property. Again, so a restatement of what we were just talking about. But I want you to see very importantly in verse 23, the motivation. The motivation for this return of the property in the Jubilee year. God says very uh, clearly, The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Okay? This is so, so important. And there's multiple levels of here, um, going on here. So first and foremost, God says that the land of Canaan, The land that he promised to Abraham's descendants is ultimately not their land. It's his land. Okay? This is very important to understand. And because the land is Yahweh's land, he can manage the land in the way that he sees fit, of course, because he's God. And what we see very clearly here in Leviticus 25 is that part of the way God ordains his land, which he owns, which he has given to Abraham's descendants as a gift, is that every seventh year the land should rest, and every fiftieth year it should rest for a second year in a row. And he says very clearly, you are but aliens and sojourners 
with me. Okay? And so they are tenants. He is the landlord. Very important. And, and this should echo in our own minds some of the language of the New Testament, right? We are aliens and sojourners here on this earth. Now that Abraham's descendants have been given the whole world as an inheritance, you can find that in Romans chapter 4, we who are called the new Israel, the Israel of God, we are told that we are just sojourners and aliens here, that this earth in this age is not our home and that this earth is ultimately God's. He owns it. He owns everything, including the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says. And so that is the motivation for the returning of the property in the Jubilee year. When someone buys a piece of property outside of a walled city to help another man pay off a debt, he's not buying it so as to own it. He's buying it so as to temporarily keep it so that it can ultimately be returned to that man, to his family, to his clan. So important. And in such a way, what is he doing? He's loving his neighbor. That's what he's doing. Okay? Very important. That's for land outside a walled city. We pick up in verse 29 about dwellings inside of a walled city. Okay, slightly different here. Verse 29. Likewise, if a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, then his redemption right remains valid until a full year from its sale. His right of redemption lasts a full year. But if it is not bought back for him within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city passes permanently to its purchaser throughout his generations. It does not revert in the Jubilee. The houses of the villages, however, which have no surrounding wall, shall be considered as open fields. They have redemption rights and revert in the Jubilee. Okay, so even though the New American Standard Version in verse 29 says likewise, okay, there, there's clearly a comparison and a contrasting going on here for houses inside of a walled city. Okay? And there are two things to consider why this might be different. Okay? Why this might be different. Number one, a dwelling house inside of a walled city okay, is different from a piece of land outside of a walled city. That piece of land outside of a walled city in an agrarian, agricultural-focused uh, culture, right, is a source of income and sustenance for an Israelite, okay? That is not necessarily the case for a house inside of a walled city. And so by by having a, a dwelling place inside of a walled city pass permanently after the first year where the right of redemption is in place, does not necessarily negatively or economically impact an Israelite like if you were to take his land permanently. Okay? And so God again with this distinction is is um and making sure that his people, Israel, are provided for in an agrarian culture. Okay. The other thing that we, that we need to think about here is that um, God encourages sojourners to come from other countries, proselytes to come in and join themselves to Israel. 
Okay, And these people, sojourners, who would come into Israel and they would circumcise themselves, if they were male obviously, and all of their male descendants and slaves, so as to become a part of the covenant of Israel with Yahweh, right? they were not given parcels of land in the time of Joshua. So they, in the Jubilee year, they have no piece of land to return to. And so in many cases, these sojourners, when they join themselves to the covenant people Israel, they would live inside walled cities. Okay, And so this is uh, a place for them to go in and they could actually buy a dwelling house in a walled city from an Israelite. And if that Israelite did not have the means to buy back that house within that first year, that dwelling place would remain permanently with the sojourner who came into the nation Israel and joined themselves to Yahweh. Okay, And so there's a couple of different things going on here, economically speaking, that I think we should understand. And I think at the end of the day, what we should also see is that God in his wisdom is making provision not just for the Israelites, especially the poor among them, but also the sojourners who have chosen to willingly join themselves to the, the, uh, the nation Israel under the covenant of Yahweh. Now, there's a distinction here beginning in verse 32 as we finish out the section 32, 33, 34. So verse 32. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites have a permanent right of redemption for the houses of the cities which are their possession. What therefore belongs to the Levites may be redeemed, and a house sale in the city of this possession reverts in the Jubilee, for the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the sons of Israel. But pasture fields of their cities shall not be sold, for that is their perpetual possession. So God, we see here, makes special provision for his Levitical uh, priests. And if you remember back uh, earlier in the Pentateuch, we saw that God was providing these cities of refuge and cities for the Levites that were to be, they were not to get any um, large parcels of land inside the land of Canaan. And God tells them repeatedly, the reason that is, is because God is their possession. Right? And so God makes these provisions for the Levites that are in distinction to those uh, policies which he prescribes for the rest of Israel, as well as implied the sojourners for the dwelling houses within the walled cities. Now, a few things here. Uh, as we sort of circle back and talk a little bit more about the Sabbath years and the Jubilee year. Okay, I want to emphasize that the Sabbath years and the Jubilee year, okay, one of the main reasons why God ordains these things is so that the land which God owns and the Israelites were just tenants upon, so that the land itself could rest. Okay? And of course, we, we all know now about the, the details, the scientific details about crop rotation, and it's very important uh, for farmers to give certain parcels of land uh, rest every once in a while, or at least to uh, plant different crops because different crops use different minerals and all this sort of thing. And so we see God in this agrarian culture, he's also making provision for his people that the land would provide for them in abundance. But these Sabbath years and the Jubilee years, um, one of the main reasons is so that the land would have a rest. Again, another main reason is so that the poor in Israel would be provided for. And as I mentioned, it was a reminder every seven years that God is the ultimate provider of what the Israelites have. Okay, very important. 
There's also an aspect here in the Sabbath year and in the Jubilee year of a return to paradise. Okay? A return to the garden prior to the fall where Adam and Eve could eat but not toil. Okay? So the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year in a sense looks back to paradise and at the same time it's a foreshadowing of the ultimate rest the ultimate Sabbath that God's people will have again where we on the new earth will eat without toil and we will be free from the slavery to sin in our glorified body so I think some of the just beauty of these Sabbath and Jubilee years is that they at the same time cause us to look back to the paradise of God, Eden, where Adam and Eve ate and enjoyed fellowship with God without toil, and at the same time looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we will do the same. Okay? Very, very important. Now, as a final comment, I would say this. It's important for us all to understand that there is no record, no record in the Old Testament. There's, there's some hints of it in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. But prior to that, there is no record that we have of the Israelites ever celebrating or observing either the Sabbath year or the year of Jubilee. Okay? Very important. And what are the implications of that? The first short-term implication of that is that it was a clear manifestation of the Israelites' unbelief. A clear manifestation of the Israelites' unbelief, which we know later on resulted in their utter rebellion and worship of the false gods of Canaan, Molech and Chemosh and others. Okay, So a clear manifestation of the Israelites' unbelief in the short term. In the long term, it caused utter devastation for the nation of Israel. So, um, if you would, please turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles. So, if you work your way back from the Psalms, right, you get Job, you get Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra, 2 Chronicles. If you're working back from the Psalms, it's about six books back. 2 Chronicles. At the end of the book of Second Chronicles, which, uh, of course, Chronicles is chronicling uh, the, the reign of the kings. Specifically, at the end of Second Chronicles, um, the end of the reign of the kings in Judah. And I want you to see something very important here. In, I'm going to begin in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 10, and I'm going to read through verse 21. 2 Chronicles 36, 10. 
And at the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord. And he made his kinsman Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar takes the king of Judah off with him to Babylon. Okay, And then he names Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke for the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his word and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand, and that he there should be capitalized. That's God. He gave them all into his hand. Verse 18. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Verse 20. And those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. And so we see what's happening here. The year is 586 BC. And we see the southern kingdom of Judah going into what is called the Babylonian captivity. Now, the northern uh, kingdom of Israel had gone into the Assyrian captivity in 722 BC. Because the kingdom of Judah had a half dozen or so righteous kings, their judgment was actually delayed by God. And most of the prophets were sent to the kingdom of Judah to call them to repentance and to call them away from their idolatry back to the worship of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. But ultimately, they also apostatized. And so God, in 586 BC, sends the southern kingdom of Judah into the Babylonian captivity. And it is explicit on the face of the text. Second Chronicles 36, verse 21. Why? Why the Babylonian captivity? Well, of course, there's idolatry involved. There's the putting to death of the prophets involved. All of that is true. There's the disobedience and the wickedness and the forsaking of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. All of that is true. But in verse 21, it also says to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So, 
the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the Israelites who were mere tenants did not treat God's land in the manner that God had prescribed. They worked the land, they worked the land, they worked the land until the land itself was exhausted. And it was exhausted not just due to farming and agriculture, but it was exhausted by the idolatry of the Israelites to the point where it literally says elsewhere that the land spewed out the Israelites. And that 70 years of captivity that Judah was in Babylon, among the other things that were going on in the world at that time and the work that God was doing through men like Daniel, the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants, was resting, fulfilling its Sabbaths that God had originally provided for it. Okay? And so lest you think that these Sabbath years and Jubilee years being discussed in Leviticus 25 are not that important, I just wanted you to see here that they are extremely important as a base of justification for the Babylonian captivity in 586 BC of the southern kingdom of Judah. And we see this as um, a judgment of God on his people Israel. So these Sabbath years, very important. And again, I would just end on an encouraging note. I think these Sabbath years and Jubilee years also point us to the ultimate rest that we have in the salvation uh, through Jesus Christ as we look back to the paradise of God and we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where we will eat without toil and we will enjoy freedom from slavery. Okay?